0: Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We're continuing our survey through the Gospel of Luke, which tells the story of God's salvation through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of King Jesus. And last week we looked at Luke chapter four, following the baptism and temptation of Jesus. He was rejected by the members of his hometown synagogue. In fact, they tried to they tried to throw him off a cliff but by means of what can only be described as a Jesus juke, he escaped. I'm sorry. I missed my chance last week, so I wanted to… you don't have to laugh. From there, Jesus continued traveling throughout the region, casting out demons, healing diseases, and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And this week, Jesus is going to call his first disciples, and in the process, he's going to give us an important object lesson. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah calls the prophet Elisha to be his disciple. Elijah finds Elisha working in a field in the land of Israel. Elisha is plowing the field with 12 yoke of oxen, the number of the 12 tribes of Israel. Elisha is preparing the land for the planting of seeds. He's preparing the land for renewed fruitfulness. And when Elijah calls him, Elisha immediately returns home, sacrifices his oxen, his livelihood, to God, cooks the oxen, feeds his family, and leaves everything in order to follow his new master. And as we'll see, this story parallels much of what we see here in the opening of Luke chapter 5. Let's read it. Verses 1 to 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is just the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, all right? And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The Gospel of Luke repeatedly shows Jesus finding opportunities to get away from the crowds to pray. Jesus has a healthy perspective on his own fame and influence. He is ready and willing to steward his popularity for the glory of God, but he doesn't need to be popular. And so he repeatedly slips away to pray, but the crowds keep finding him. So here in chapter 5, the people find Jesus while he's taking a long walk along the beach, and they're so eager to hear the word of God that they're invading his personal space, if you will. They are desperate for the word of God. They are traveling throughout the region to hear the word of God. Can we identify with that type of eagerness to hear the Word of God. Holy Spirit, make us eager. Amen? So the people are pressing in on Jesus to such a degree that He's finding it difficult to address the crowd. And so He hops into a boat owned by Simon Peter, and they push away from the shore a bit, and from that place on the water, Jesus begins to teach. Now, there's a very practical reason for teaching from a boat. Water amplifies sound. Any science teachers in the room? Any science enthusiasts? It's another word for a nerd. Um, No, just kidding. This one's for you. Um, The air near the surface of a body of water tends to be cooler than the air further from the surface of the body of water, and sound waves travel faster through warmer air. And this creates an effect called refraction. The sound waves further from the surface of the water bend back down toward the listener, thus amplifying the sound. That is your physics lesson for the week. There was a practical reason for teaching from a boat. Okay, but I don't think Luke records this event in order to show that Jesus understood how sound waves operate. Again, there's an object lesson here. So, I want to address some of the imagery and symbols being used in this passage, because if we don't take time to picture the scene, we're going to miss what Jesus is teaching us with his actions. And it's actually interesting, right, because Luke doesn't tell us anything about the content of the teaching. He only tells us the context of the teaching. And so, there must be something here for us to see. Prior to Jesus, the biblical narrative is dominated by shepherds and sheep and land. But when Jesus enters the narrative, we stop hearing so much about the land. The biblical narrative becomes dominated by fishermen and fish and bodies of water. From shepherds, sheep, and land to fishermen, fish, and water. None of Israel's leaders were fishermen they were mostly shepherds. None of Jesus' disciples were shepherds. They were mostly fishermen. What's going on here? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel's prosperity and future are inextricably tied to the land. They depended upon the land for peace and prosperity and even faithfulness to their covenant with God. The sea, on the other hand was associated with evil and danger, and in particular, the Gentile nations, the non-Jewish nations. Psalm 65 compares the chaos of the peoples to the roar of the seas. Isaiah 17 compares the noise of the nations to the rushing of mighty waters. So, that being the case, boats function as a plot of dry land in the midst of the sea, just functionally. The most obvious example of this is Noah's Ark. Noah worked as a carpenter, interesting, building a boat that brought both humans and land animals safely through the waters of judgment and death. The Ark was a plot of dry land in the midst of the sea. It was a microcosm of the entire earth. We'll come back to this. And so, the prominence of fishermen and fish and water in the Gospel of Luke suggests a change to the nature of Israel's mission, a change to the nature of Israel's mission. Last week, we talked about Jesus sending the church on this global conquest of love and righteousness. Well, that's just another way of saying the same thing the people of God are no longer called to dwell securely in the land while driving out their enemies. The people of God are now called to dwell securely in the church, to dwell securely in Christ while loving their enemies. Rather than depending upon the land for peace and prosperity, the people of God are called to leave the safety of the land and travel out into a sea of nations. And this will require the use of boats. And we see a lot of boats in the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke, and which tells the story of the early church following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They went out on the water. So imagine the scene. Jesus is teaching from the water, and the crowd is facing the sea. And from their standpoint on the Sea of Galilee, the crowd would have been able to see foreign territory on the opposite shore. Okay, back to the text, verses 4 to 7. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch.' And Simon answered, "'Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets.' And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking." They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So, Jesus continues the object lesson. The fishermen had been working all throughout the night without anything to show for their toil. But a new day has dawned, and Jesus is in the boat now. And so, they cast their nets again, and they And they catch more fish than they can handle. There are so many fish that their nets are breaking and their boats are sinking, underneath the weight of the catch. And I think Jesus is telling Simon Peter, James, John, and the crowd that there is a great catch to be made amongst the nations of the world. And there's here's the question I think Luke is posing. Will the people of God sink beneath the weight of this revised mission inaugurated by Jesus? Can the church survive the massive influx of non-Jews? Will the nets break? And there's a strikingly similar scene in the Gospel of John that actually answers this question, but we'll get to that in a bit. First, I want to look at Simon Peter's reaction because I think he begins to understand the object lesson. I think he knows that this is about more than fish. Verses 8 to 10. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Let's stop right there. Why does Simon Peter respond this way? At first glance, it seems strange that he would fall at his knees and repent. That's obviously a good and appropriate thing to do, but that reaction doesn't exactly follow from the sort of miracle Peter just witnessed. And keep in mind, Simon Peter has already seen plenty of miracles. We didn't cover this, but in chapter 4, Jesus visits Simon Peter's house healing diseases, and casting out demons. Simon Peter knew that Jesus was powerful before he got into the boat. He knew that Jesus could work miracles. So why does he respond this way? Well, as far as I can tell, the only explanation is that Simon Peter understood the object lesson, and he knew, he understood that Jesus was calling him to the task. Not me, Lord. You've got the wrong guy. I'm a sinful man. My nets are breaking. My boat is sinking. You've got to find somebody else. Depart from me, Lord. Continuing in verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed Him. Do not be afraid is the most consistent command of God in the Bible. And here when Jesus says, do not be afraid, He's not saying Simon Peter is wrong to be afraid. He's actually right to be afraid for two important reasons. Number one, the task ahead of Him is daunting. And number two, He's in a boat with God. In the Old Testament, whenever people find themselves in the presence of God, they are struck with God's greatness, they are struck with their own unworthiness, and they never, never remain standing. They fall to the ground. That's why we confess our sins together every Sunday morning. In response to God's call to worship, we are drawing near to Him in need of forgiveness. We are entering into His presence. So, it is appropriate for us to acknowledge his greatness and our unworthiness. And when we confess, right, we do not remain standing. Okay, so for Simon Peter, fear was an appropriate response. When Jesus says, Do not be afraid, he's saying, I will be with you. We are literally in the same boat. And as you will see, I tread upon the waves. The storm obeys my voice. I'm in control. I'm the sovereign creator. I'm the almighty God. I am love itself, and my love casts out fear. Do not be afraid. Some of us, some of us need to hear this as a command from God. Do not be afraid. It's not necessarily sinful to be afraid but even in our fear and anxiety. We must learn to hear the voice of our master and obey him anyway. Don't be afraid to step out into the water. Don't be afraid to join Jesus on his mission. Don't be afraid to share the gospel with that coworker. Don't be afraid to invite your neighbor over for dinner. Don't be afraid to take leadership responsibility in the church. Jesus is in the boat with you. Twice in this passage, Simon Peter protests against Jesus. And twice in this passage, to his credit, Simon Peter obeys Jesus anyway. The text does not say that Simon Peter was no longer afraid. The text simply shows him obeying the voice of his master. We ought to do the same. In, in the face of fear or anxiety, we follow Jesus in faith. We hear his voice, we heed his command, we obey him when he says, do not be afraid, and we follow him wherever he leads. Luke 12, verses 4 and 5, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. Stop trying to be in control of everything. If you think about it, you shouldn't actually want to be in control of everything. In a world like this, being in control can be terrifying. That's why children thrive under loving authority. They are able to entrust themselves to a more knowledgeable and more powerful authority. But somehow, those children grow up into adults and they start thinking they're knowledgeable enough and powerful enough to secure the future for themselves. We struggle to entrust ourselves to a loving authority but we're really just children. We aren't actually as independent as we'd like to be, and we know it. And deep down we know it, and it terrifies us. And so we need to let God be God. Allow Him to be ultimate. Surrender yourself to His care and mercy and sovereign power. Relinquish control to a loving authority. That may seem like a strange remedy for fear and anxiety, but but that actually works. We love and serve and worship a God who could end us. And yet he calls us his beloved children. What is there to fear besides him? If God is for us, who can be against us? A mighty fortress is our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. So let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Entrust yourself to the loving authority of God. The only alternative is to navigate your way through this life with insufficient knowledge and insufficient power. Vapor of vapors. You cannot secure the future, so entrust yourself to God It's the rational thing to do. Before we close, I want to circle back to the idea that boats function as plots of dry land in the midst of the sea. Beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3 and really following throughout 2,000 years of church history, theologians have long compared the church to a boat, and in particular, Noah's Ark. The church is a plot of land, a plot of Israel, tossed about on a sea of nations. We are fishing for men and women and children with a wide net, and all who acknowledge their need for rescue are brought through the waters of judgment and into the safety of this humble vessel. And with that in mind, let's, let's close with a reading from John 21. Jesus has just been crucified and resurrected. He has appeared to the disciples twice already, but they still don't seem to understand what has happened. Or or maybe they consider themselves disqualified because they abandoned Jesus to die. I don't know, but they're confused, and so they return to what's comfortable. They return to the Sea of Galilee, and they begin to fish. Verses 3 to 11. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sounds familiar, right? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Jesus has won the victory. The crucified king has risen from the grave. Death has been defeated. And there is a great catch to be had amongst the nations of the world. And if, if the disciples of Jesus listen to the voice of Jesus, he will make their work fruitful. Jesus is sending all of us to be fishers of men. We are not just individuals dropping a line and waiting for a nibble. We are a team of fishermen casting a wide net and hauling our catch through the waters of baptism and into the safety and care of this boat. And in answer to Luke's question, the gospel of John says, your nets, though they hold all the nations, will not break. This boat cannot sink because we're in it with the resurrected Lord. Pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for expanding your covenant love to include even us. Even us. Jesus, we trust you. We, we desire that you would meet us in our fears and anxieties. Let us know that you are here. Let us know that you are present, that we are in your presence, that you are in the boat with us. Because we are unworthy. We need you to make us worthy. Holy Spirit, make us fruitful fishermen. We trust you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.